Let me read you something. Let me read you something. Stay with me upstairs. I want to read something to you. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. I certainly can see how God wants to use this narrative today to speak to our hearts. Let me read a few verses because this particular story so complements what God is doing right now in this moment. How many of you know the Lord is here? Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders when this narrative opens. Really, as an opportunity to define for those religious leaders, the Pharisees, how his heart operates with you. He's giving them the paradigm of how the heart of, of God operates. So he says this to them. He says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. How many of you know those sheep are us? How many of you have heard the voice of God in your life at some time? Maybe not the audible voice of God, but there has been a time that you can say God led you out of something. I wish I had more time to elaborate on that thought, but just hang with me. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. In fact, there was a story that happened during World War I where the, this group of bandits came in and, and took all of these sheep from this shepherd. And when the shepherd realized that the sheep were gone, he began to search for them. But all he did was shout out with his voice. And when he shouted out with his voice, the sheep heard his voice and they turned from the bandits and came back to him. Mm. But yet the people were not understanding what he was talking about. Jesus used this figure, figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Duh. Everybody say duh. duh. Therefore, Jesus said again, very, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am. There's an I am statement. This I am statement harkens back to a statement that God gave to Moses over 2,000 years before this experience when God was telling Moses, I want you to go to the Pharaoh and I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses was like, well, if I go, who do I say is sending me? And he said, I am. He said, I am that I am. I am the great I am. I am your help. I am your hope. I am your sustenance. I am your strength. I am your forgiveness. I am your salvation. And now Jesus is saying, and I am the gate. Taking it to a whole nother level. Verse 8 says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. He says it again. I am the gate. Whoever enters through my gate will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. Another I am statement. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Hold on a second. It's verse 10 though that I want to bring emphasis to. It's verse 10 where Jesus was defining who he was. It's verse 10 that was relevant for that group of people who had gathered within reach of the sound of his voice that was so important then but so relevant now. In fact, he says this in verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But he said, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Some of your translations say, I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, I believe that there is life in the house of the Lord today. I believe that there is a life-giving power in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. I believe that there are some things in your life that you've given up on, but God's about to breathe life into them. I think there's some dreams in your life that you've given up on, but God's about to take those dreams and resurrect them. I think there's some relationships in this place that you've given up on, but God's about about to do something incredible. Why? Because my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, ask, or imagine. Can somebody in this place praise that God? Because you may feel stuck. You may feel stagnant. But God today is the gatekeeper and he's going to walk you into what he has for you. Come on and give him praise, church. Yeah. So look at your neighbor. And announce to them the title of today's message, The Gatekeeper. Look at another neighbor and say, The Gatekeeper. And then you can be seated. Eventually, we will land in John chapter 10. It will be the narrative that we will use to bring illustration to the concept that our conversation will center around today. We're in week three of this series called Jehovah, the names of God, where we're looking at the different names of God. I referenced early on in this series that in preparation for this series, I read an article from a professor at NYU who was talking about the power of a name and that our names have uh, uh, this, this magnetic force that will draw us to our destiny, that, that will pave the way to, to our destiny, that this, this force, this magnetism that just kind of sucks us to the place that our names have defined for us. And the more that I read that article, I thought, well, that's a biblical concept. Because I began to think about how God during biblical days would give names that not only described where they had come from, their heritage, but also gave definition to their future, like the name Joseph, which means the Lord will give increase. The Lord will give increase, but yet Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery and stayed in prison for 12 years, but yet God used him to bring increase to a nation. 
I think about Moses. That name means to draw out. And how God used Moses to draw the people of Israel out of slavery, out of the hands of, of the Egyptians from the bondage that they had suffered for 400 years. There's something about a, a name. A name can define our destiny, but there is a name that is greater than any other name. There is a name that is so profound that the very essence of it causes other titles and names to be derived from it. There is a name that when it is spoken, Richie, it creates so much power that all of creation stands still. And that name is God. That that name is Yahweh. That name is Jehovah. That name is the Redeemer. Redeemer. That name is salvation. That name is the Ancient of Days. That name is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That name is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Who's going to help me preach? That name is Jehovah Nisi because over me is victory. That name. That name I feel like preaching. This morning, I'm getting texts from all kinds of people over the weekend that they were going to be out of town because it's a four-day weekend. I didn't even know that. And so, I begin to think about, okay, well, who's going to be here? Am I going to preach to an empty crowd, an empty church? But then I thought about the name that we're going to look at today. Mm, hang on a second. Because... I want to stay in rhythm with the trajectory of, of this series in that I want to look at a name today that I believe is probably one of the most intimate names of God in the Bible. It's the name Jehovah Rohi. That Hebrew name means the Lord is our shepherd. So what I want to do is use John chapter 10 to illustrate Jehovah Rohi, but I want to use Psalms chapter 23 to bring definition, to give us context to Jehovah Rohi. And when Psalms chapter 23 opens up, just hold your finger in John. We'll come back to it, but I want you to see something. When Psalms 23 opens, it's probably one of the most unique Psalms that David has authored. The composition of this Psalm is so, it's so different. It's so intimate. It's, it's so real. It's so raw. In fact, so many times we take the 23rd Psalm a little out of context. And theologians have argued for years as to when this Psalm was actually written, but as of late, they feel as if this Psalm is a, is a reflective Psalm. In other words, it's when, when, when David was so mature in his, in his walk, if you will, maybe in, in the position of being king for years and years and years, maybe towards the end of his life, and he reflects back over his life, and he realizes that God has been with him every single step of the way. Even when he didn't see God or feel God, he now looks back and sees that God was with him. When he was on top of the mountain, God was there. When he was in the valley, God was there. When he was on the run from Saul, who was trying to kill him, and he was living in a cave and wondering where God was at, now he realizes that God was there all along. When he lost a son, he realized that God was there. When he didn't know what to do, he saw that God was there. And so he writes Psalms 23 based upon that concept, but he writes it in such a way that he can personally relate to it in hopes that we can relate to it. In fact, the very first verse sets the tone. Here's what it says. It says, verse 1 of chapter 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me pause here and teach for a minute. Because what 
David is doing here is he's telling us that that God is the shepherd and that he is the sheep. And if God is his shepherd, he is God's sheep, then God will provide for him. That's why he says, and I lack nothing. But there's something deeper that's happening here because notice that he does not say the Lord is a shepherd. He does not say that God can be a shepherd. He does not say the Lord is a shepherd to nations. Instead, he personalizes it. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying that through the relationship with Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd, he realizes that everything that he has is a result of God's hand. Therefore, he lacks nothing. He lacks nothing because of who God is. And because of who God is and how he has been shepherding David, David can now write Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. But hang on a second, because there's some other things that are happening there that are deeper that you don't necessarily discover when you read through this text. Jehovah-Rohi is, is one of the deepest Hebrew terms for God because it has so many different meanings. One of the secondary meanings is the Lord reveals himself or makes himself known. Think about that. When David is at the writing table, writing this particular psalm, he stops for a moment. He pauses and he reflects over his life and he realizes that God has revealed himself in so many different ways, so many different times, so many different seasons in his life. But then there's another secondary term. That secondary term is what is so profound to me because it actually means companion or friend. So when David pens these words, the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Rohi, he is saying the Lord is my friend. You're not catching this. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, he's your friend. Somebody look at the other neighbor that you did not choose who is also your friend and say, he's your friend. David is saying... The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah-Rohi. He is my friend. What David is letting us know is that there have been times in his life where Jehovah-Rohi, the shepherd, has led him in such a way that he realizes his companionship is more than just a companionship, but it is a genuine friendship because he realizes that God has cared for him, preserved him, protected him when he could not do those things for himself. What blows me away about David is that David has written so many different psalms and he's so creative. But when David is writing this psalm, he does not reflect upon God being the creator. He does not say, the Lord is my creator. He could have gone all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and reflected upon the words in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. Darkness hovered over the earth and God hovered over the faces of the water and he said, let there be. David did not say the Lord is my creator. David did not say the Lord is my king. David said the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my friend. The Lord is my companion. The Lord is the one who has made himself known. In other words, not only does God know about his problem, but God is the shepherd who can meet his problem. God is the shepherd who can meet every last one of his needs. That's why David could write, he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. That's why David could write, the Lord's ear is attuned to your cry, because he knows that Jehovah-Rohi is a God who not only knows about you, but cares about you, wants to provide for you. And that's why he knew 
you before the foundations of the earth were even laid. That's why the Bible says Jehovah Rohi has plans for you. Plans not to harm you, but plans to prosper you. Plans that will bring you a hope in the future. Can I get some help up in the air? He says, and I lack nothing. So I envision David at his writing table, writing this psalm, pausing, going over to his harp and playing some chords, going back to his writing table and pinning something else and going back and playing some songs and just in this worshipful environment. Maybe he's singing a song like, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. You know that song? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy that we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. Mm. You didn't know God's name was Andy, did you? Andy. <laughs> but David said, Holy Spirit, come back. Come back. <laughs> but, but David said, and I lack nothing. What he was saying was everything that he has is the direct result of God's hand. And if he didn't have it, he didn't need it. And he began to believe that there was something that God was doing in his life. If he didn't have it, he didn't need it. And he didn't ask God for more of his supply because he was happy with what God had already given him. It was both a declaration and a decision. When he felt like he was lost and didn't have a thing, he realized that he had God. When he felt like he didn't have anything, he realized that he had all that he needed. Why? Because my God shall supply for all of my needs according to his riches and glory. We won't get finished if I keep up. So look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3, he says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside of quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Time out for a second. He's giving us some of the characteristics of, of the shepherd. That the shepherd has a way of making us lie down in green pastures. Richie, even though we don't know where the green pastures are, he causes us to lie down in those green pastures. He's telling us what the shepherd will do in and through us. This past week, I read something that was written by the late author, Philip Keller, who wrote a book about the 23rd Psalm. A shepherd looks at 
Psalms 23. And I thought, I need to read this one paragraph to you. Because it captures the essence in a synoptic form of Psalms 23. He writes that sheep do not lie down easily and will not unless four conditions are met. Because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. Finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. Mm, hold on a second. What David is saying, if you understand the dynamic, the context of Psalms 23, what David is saying to us is that God met his needs even when he didn't realize he had a need. Mm. What he's saying is when he was in fear that God swung open wide the gate so that he could walk beside of quiet waters. When there was friction in his life, God swung open wide the gate of restoration. When there was famine in his life, God swung open wide, if you will, the gate that led to the green pastures. When he was swatting at flies, God dealt with them. He made a way. The point that I am trying to make is God will deal with the fear, the friction, the flies, and the famine in your life. But, but hang on, because this is for someone. I don't know who I'm speaking to here, but, but, but you need to grab this. I believe that there are some in this place right now, you're overwhelmed with the conditions in your life. You're wondering if anybody even cares or anyone even notices. The tears are streaming down your face. You are overwhelmed by it. You do not know what to do. But Jehovah Rohi knows exactly where you are. And that is why David could later write in Psalms chapter 55 that God has an ability to take the tears that are streaming down your face and taking a bottle and bottling up those tears. And later he uses those tears as a perfume to walk you into the destiny that he has for you. That's why he says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside of quiet waters he restoreth my soul do you know why it's so difficult for us to find green pastures in life it's because we've bought into the casual culture we've bought into the spirit of casual we're casual about everything we're casual about our relationship with God. We're casual about the Word of God. We're, we're casual about the presence of God. We're casual about, uh, about the uh, church attendance. We come in when we want, we leave when we want, we take our phones out and we Facebook during worship, we, we take our phones out and we answer emails during the message and God is saying, I want to bring them into green pastures, but you got to put your phone down long enough, put, put back that spirit of being casual and walk into the green pasture that I've prepared for you. I saw a lot of phones like just, just kind of like, go, go, go away, everybody putting up their phone. Verse 4, verse 4, verse 4. Stay with me. David writes, even though I walk... Hold on a second. Hold on. Before I read verse 4. What David is telling us is he's describing for us this intimate relationship that we should have with God. And he's saying that God led him to a green pasture, meaning he didn't know where it was at. You cannot discover that green pasture through a casual relationship with God. You've got to have an intimate relationship with him. That'll preach. Take that home and stew on it. it it'll help you out this week. 
Verse 4, even though, here's what he said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice he says that he's walking through the valley. He's not staying there. He's walking through it. Now, I could continue to preach on Psalms 23 for several weeks, but I don't have several weeks. So let me pause here and let me take you to John chapter 10. Because the narrative of John chapter 10 becomes the illustration for what is being said to us through Psalms 23. But what I did not tell you while we were in worship is that John chapter 10 is really Jesus' rebuttal to these religious leaders about an event that unfolded in chapter 9. You see, what unfolded in chapter 9 really compelled Jesus to describe who he was in chapter 10. Because in chapter 9, Jesus is walking along with, with the disciples, and there is this teaching moment that, that happens. There is this moment where all of a sudden, Jesus walks up on this dude who's been blind since birth. The disciples have this discussion, well, who's sinned, him or his parents, if he's been blind since birth? And Jesus is like, neither. You've got this whole thing mixed up. That's not what's happening here. This is an opportunity for God to be glorified. So Jesus spits on the ground and begins to make some mud. <laughs> Stirs this mud up. And places that nasty stuff right on that dude's eyes. Come on, gross, Jesus, gross. <laughs> you know that blind dude was like, somebody said, oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And so, so here, here is this mud on this dude's eyes. And, and, and this experience causes this guy to be healed. He's been blind since birth. And the religious leaders are like, we don't believe it. We don't believe you, and we don't believe him. They begin to ridicule him. And, and, and it's so strange that Jesus would use mud because it harkens back to how God created us when he gathered up some dust and he created us. And now Jesus, the, the shepherd, the illustration of God, is now beginning to use the same stuff that God used to create us to heal us. But yet, there's... In the atmosphere, no, that can't be the case. They began to ridicule. So let me show you something. John chapter 9, the last few verses, and I am having the worst time reading that. It's the mud that's in my eyes. Hang, hang loose here. It says, then they hurled insults at him. And he said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Okay, so they're insulting this, this guy. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. He said, you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened up my eyes. <laughs> then the man answered, keep going, that is remarkable. Move the next one up for me. We now, or we know, that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man who was born blind. If this man were not from God, then he could not have done this. Mm. To that, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they told him, get out. 
hold on a second. Because something is happening here. Then Jesus, seeing the hearts of the Pharisees, knew that he had to show the people who were there how different his heart was from theirs. So in chapter 10, verse 7, here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Mm. Verse 8, and all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep who have not listened to them, I am the gate. Whoever enters through this will be saved. Hold on a second. He says, I am the gate again. Now, what he's describing for those who are listening is during that day, if you were a shepherd, you would have pens in the pasture land, generally one pen. There was one entrance in and one exit out. There was not a gate. So the shepherd himself became the gate. He would lie at the entrance to the pen, therefore keeping all of the sheep in and the predators out. Mm. He's beginning to define for them, y'all, you're not the gate. You think you're the gatekeeper, but I'm the gatekeeper. But then he says something in the rest of that verse, verse 9. Put it back up. He says, he says, verse 9, verse 9, verse 9, verse 9, verse 9. No, 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 verse 9. Okay, here we go. So, maybe it's not verse 9. Whatever, whatever the last verse we read. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, verse 9. Don't be, hold on a second. I'll get it. I'll get it. So, verse 9 says this. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Watch this. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Hold on a second, Paul. This is the same thing that David had said. 1500 years before that God will cause us he will lead us into green pastures now here's Jesus beginning to illustrate that concept what he's saying is that you guys have been the gatekeepers and you've been doing this all wrong and you've been judging people based upon their brokenness you've been judging people and labeling people based upon their failures and based upon their sin but Jesus is saying I came to establish a new pattern I came to break the cycle in people's lives I came to open up the gate and swing it open wide and I told the blind dude to come on in and I walked him into a green pasture called healing because I wanted to change his perspective I wanted him to understand that I am Jehovah Rohi I am his friend you might be labeling him but I am his friend, and I want him to lead. I want to lead him into green pastures. I want to cause him to, to lie down in those green pastures, to walk by those quiet waters. I want to restore his soul. So, so think about this with me for a moment, because here is, is David talking about it in Psalms 23, Jesus illustrating it in John chapter 10. And so God, the declaration of God being a shepherd is illustrated through Jesus changing the pattern in this blind man's life because the pattern for this man up until that moment what was was this it was it was alms for the poor help please alms for the poor every day alms for the poor help 
And here is Jesus changing that pattern. When he walks up to the man, he swings open wide the, the pasture gate that leads to healing. And, and the man is now healed. I, I need you to grab hold of this. You see, because some of you, you need to walk into green pastures today. I'm not sure what the green pasture is for you. Maybe the green pasture is the pasture of healing. Maybe the green pasture for you is the pasture of breakthrough. Maybe the green pasture for you is the pasture of, of financial freedom. Maybe the green pasture for you is, uh, I don't know, relationship reconciliation with the child what I do know is that God is the gatekeeper so this story gives us the very essence of of the mind and the heart of Christ it gives us the very essence of who Christ is because here is this blind dude has been blind since birth but yet the laws that the Pharisees have put into place that they thought would help people has not helped this man. In fact, now he's just experiencing even more problems and difficulties. He's healed. God has healed him. But yet they want to they they, they judge him. They, they want to call him names. They want to do all of this stuff. But Jesus came to break the cycle. And that's when Jesus said verse 10 because he realized these guys were not getting it yet. In verse 10, he said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I have come, I don't know where my team's at, but come on back. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Hold on a second. He's, he's saying, you guys, you, you've developed a pattern that hasn't worked. Nothing has helped this guy. He's never found the freedom that he so deserves, but I can't because I'm Jehovah Rohi, and I want to open up the gate and walk him into a pasture that will help him. I'm Jehovah Rohi. I'm his friend. I want him to experience a life that is full and overflowing, and because I have come so that he may have life and have that life more abundantly, and so I swing open wide the gate so that when you walk through the gate, you enter into the kingdom, and when you enter into the kingdom, You'll begin to look at things differently. You'll begin to make different decisions. You'll begin to walk differently. You'll begin to talk differently. Then you'll be able to walk into the fullness of Psalms chapter 23. That the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he's my friend. Because he's my companion. He'll cause me to lie down in green pastures. He'll lead me beside of quiet waters. He'll restore my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for his rod and his staff they comfort me Lord he'll prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies he'll cause my head to be anointed with oil he'll cause my cup to overflow and then all of a sudden bringing up the rear is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life because he is Jehovah Rohi over my marriage Jehovah Rohi over my kids Jehovah Rohi over my church Jehovah Rohi over my finances. He is my friend. Somebody get up on your feet and give God praise. He is Jehovah Rohi. Your friend, your companion, the one who meets your needs even when you didn't realize you had a need. The one who deals with the fear that hurts you, the flies and the fans. Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is 